Hello, and welcome to the Parts Innovations Podcast, where we try to bring the best ideas and practices and distill them into actionable advice to help us all grow our parts businesses. If you haven't already, please check us out at partsinnovations.com. That is a project where we try to deliver the most valuable training available for this industry today, and it helps greatly to support this very podcast so that we can keep bringing these ideas to you. Thanks for being here, and let's get started. Okay, so today... I have uh, Sean Larkin on the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank uh, you. Sean is the founder of the North American Dealer Parts Exchange, and that is a company where he's helping dealers reduce obsolete inventory in the parts department. Um, so first of all, Sean, I just want to congratulate you for being uh, on the number one podcast in the world, Parts Innovations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It was a I long time is- getting here. That's right. Yeah, it's a big waiting list. You know, a lot of people uh, uh, really, really wanting to be on here, you know. So mm-hmm. anyway. You're doing the work of God. That's right. Um, so, Sean, uh, we talked before about, you know, your, your process with North American Dealer Parts Exchange, and I want to get into that. But first, I'm, I'm curious, what made you come up with the idea for this business? Well, so I'll tell you what, uh, uh, more than a decade ago, we remember the 2008, 2009 crash. Everybody felt it somehow, right? And business dried up. Um, I was, uh, uh, you know, very early in my parts management days and uh, on that career path and still very, you know, kind of junior, if you will, in terms of uh, my training uh, on parts, technical training in parts management. And uh, what happened is I have a DP that tells me, you know, trim inventory. And it's like, you know, I'm doing absolutely everything I can possible. I mean, I'm in group 20s. I mean, I have consultants that work with me. And, yeah. uh, and you know, it's not that, you know, well, what can I, well, my problem is this obsolete or idle parts inventory. I just can't get rid of it. And the only way to fix the problem is to, or or to get to your number, just to trim it, like just arbitrarily trim it just because, you know, we, we want to save the money, which I understand from a business perspective. Yeah. Um, r- really, all you ha- can cut is trim down active inventory because you're stuck with the rest. You're stuck. I mean, that's yeah. a reality. Uh, guys might think different. You know, there certainly are, there are some other smaller avenues to start trimming things up, base supply, program orders. Um, but if you're really leaning in on handling inventory and, and processes are already in place, you know, not, I mean, when, when the world come, uh, falls apart, man, uh, oh. there's not much you can do to trim it besides uh, start trimming active inventory. So anyway, um, yeah. I knew that the parts that I had were good somewhere because the manufacturer has so many of them. So how, how do we, you know, if I only knew what other dealers were selling this? So it took many years to develop that idea into what it is today is basically we use aggregated data from all the dealers on our platform. Um, and try to figure out uh, basically where does the parts that dealers don't want, where is it actually selling? And we use inventory and sales data to figure that out. Same brand, same country. And, uh, but, but what happens is nobody wants your junk parts, even if it's active at their store, because um, there's an incentive for them to buy it from the manufacturer uh, instead, unless you're willing to take a huge haircut. But no dealer really wants to take a haircut. But what if everybody wins? What if you could just you know, virtually figure out where it's like bulk exchanging this, like all this stuff here that I have is junk for me, but it's active at this store. 
and of equal dollar, or at least if I could figure out equal dollar with that same store, who's going to take my junk that he sells, he has junk that I can actually use. It's a, it's a huge ballet in terms of data and, and uh, yeah. algorithms and such, but we're able to figure that out. That's our primary business. Our secondary offering uh, is, is relatively new is um, we just sell the idle and obsolete parts for the dealer um, through e-commerce, through every channel. And nice. the dealer does no work. We just, we handle everything. You get an email, yeah. we tell you, send the part out, you bill us, done. You know, that's, that's important because, um, you know, first of all, yeah, you're right. You're, you're, you don't know what dealers out there in your country uh, need those parts that are just sitting there collecting mm-hmm. dust on your shelves, first of all. Um, and then second of all, you know, parts managers are some of the busiest people I've ever seen. And so mm-hmm. the fact that you can uh, kind of take that on for them and say, hey, we'll sell your idle inventory. Uh, we'll kind of manage that e-commerce process for you. You know, you, you ship it and you pack it and, and we're done. Um, so I, I think those two things are very important. I think it's um, part of the reason why you're successful. And, and are you in the, U- the U.S. right now? Yeah, so we dabble a bit in the U.S., but uh, like really uh, it's, 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 it's part of the 2021 strategy here uh, mm-hmm. to, to move uh, to great depth. Uh, in fact, we spent a fair amount of time. We are Canadian-based. If you can't tell, uh, I think I speak clear <laughs> English, but nonetheless, um, the Americans are like, that guy's from the North Pole for sure. Uh, they wouldn't be wrong. Um, but yes, uh, to depth, yeah, we're moving into the U.S., uh, okay, where we can good. service all brands with one of the two programs for sure. Good. Good. Okay. Awesome. Well, um, you have five tips for us today. Um, and I, I want to ask you something before we get into that, because it's five tips on sort of managing our obsolescence, right. And, and mm-hmm. being better with it. But um, in what ways do you see most commonly how obsolescence is created? Right. So those five tips, I have five tips, but in fact, I actually have five hours. Uh, but but uh, we boiled them down to five tips in, in, in short order. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so let, let's talk about how does obsolete parts even happen? So if we really think about, um, uh, you know, all the return allowance that dealers get throughout a year, whether it's your small dealer and you get 50,000 or you're getting hundreds of thousands of dollars, we're applying that and I hope dealers are, or the majority are applying it to the oldest parts in inventory because they have the least probability of selling. Right. You know, but perpetually every single month we're applying it to the oldest stuff, but where does that stuff even come from? Right? Like we just think, Oh, it's just the oldest stuff. Well, in fact, that stuff originates. Now, if you ask the same dealer or any dealer, uh, you know, you know, you, you may not have an obsolete parts problem, but you're definitely fulfilling hundreds of thousands of dollars of return a year back to the manufacturer because you can't because you have that return allowance. But you ask yeah. the same dealer, um, you know, uh, special order parts, return and unsold special order parts, um, you know, are a problem for a dealer. And they'll say, no, we don't have a special order problem at all. We don't have one. Right. But, right. but in fact, that's where it all originates from. You dealers just don't focus on it because it's a one and twos and a parts a parts person just taking it off a work order, doing a credit invoice, um, or a customer just not picking it up. Because it's a ones and twos and happens amongst all your parts guys um, across many days, right, and weeks, um, you don't really see it till it stacks up and, and you're dealing with it on the backside. Yeah. Now, uh, 
provided you're using traditional inventory uh, control and, uh, and a methodology, active parts, inventory, 7% of those SKUs or part numbers, not talking dollars, I'm not talking number of pieces, the SKUs, uh, part, individual part numbers fall off on an annual basis. Um, so you're making profit on 93% of those part numbers many times uh, in the course of a year, many, many times over the course of a year. So the, the, the problem is not active inventory falling off. And, and usually when they get in a pickle, they have to trim their inventory because the DP says so, um, or, uh, you, you know, other, other things that make them need to trim parts, uh, don't have yeah. enough space. They, they trim active or get uh, elaborate with uh, or, or try to get sophisticated with the phasing criteria. All they're doing is trying to figure out what can I, what really happens is they're trying to figure out what can I do to basically use some sort of phasing criteria that chokes off active inventory. So it gives me the result I want. And right. fairly quick-ish, they can trim down their inventory. It's, and in fact, it's because you choked off active inventory. So it looks yeah. like you're doing it's the at job. A detriment. It's at a detriment I, to your... Your customers, oh, right? God. Yeah. So, so where it starts and where the problem is, is your unsold and return special order part. I mean, okay. So, so, and I agree with you. I think that that's spot on. I think that you could say even 90% of what your obsolescence is, is parts that you've ordered for a customer that, and that's where it ended, yeah. you know? And so right. your process for special orders, um, getting those picked up or your process for getting things prepaid even is, is yes. probably critical, you know, right. and, and, exactly. um, and we can get into more of that, but yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, obsolescence is a huge deal. You know, I work for a really big corporation and I can tell you that, um, you know, I get charged on a monthly basis, um, 7% holding fee on my inventory. Mm-hmm. from my corporate yep. office, you know, yep. so I don't want to get charged for stuff that I'm not selling. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, you know, it's, it's important for me to have a very active inventory, a healthy inventory. What would you say is maybe just based on percentage? And I know it can kind of vary depending on how big of an inventory you have, but um, health wise, you know, a good parts manager managing his obsolescence in the right way. What kind of obsolescence percentage is that in his inventory? Yeah, so so there's there's a couple points I'll make here. So first off, um, uh, NADA guide, so industry guide, parts industry guide is two percent. Two percent of your total inventory should be uh, or or twelve months or older it needs to be under two percent of total inventory value. Um, gotcha. So that's guide, uh, and anything less than that is you're doing well, and 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 you and that's reasonable. Um, so then, um, though, is if we if we kind of zoom out a little bit, um, how much inventory does the average dealer have, um, including obsolete parts inventory and including unsold and returned special order parts, which have not aged out yet. So they could be 90 days old, uh, you know, six months old. They're not yet obsolete, um, but they are certainly uh, non-stocking parts. We're on track, huh? yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. That number... Um, so best in class, there's been a couple sources of, of this information that are the same. Um, 20% is best in class. 20% of total inventory when you take your obsolete plus, basically, if you were to take your entire inventory and return the whole thing and then reorder only active parts inventory, you would be, the, the best in class dealers would have 20% less. So uh, 20% best in class dealers is, is all the stuff they shouldn't have. 
Um, unsold gotcha. and returned special orders. I haven't aged out yet and obsolete parts. The average is 30%. So the average dealer has about 30%. We see, um, we actually see a range because we get uh, parts inventory data and uh, we see it across many different dealers sizes uh, across the country. Um, it, it, there's a wide range, a huge range. So we do see um, guys who are, uh, you know, in, in the lower 20s. And in fact, I've seen um, consult ones that are using consulting firms uh, and have been for some time and they have a trained parts manager and he's been at the wheel for some time. And the yeah. companies, uh, the dealerships, uh, huge on processes. Um, they'll be in the low to mid 20s uh, is where they'll be. Yeah. Uh, and gotcha. that's a great job as a total, a total inventory of stuff you shouldn't have. And certainly they're under or at 2% uh, obsolete parts. Um, gotcha. uh, and in many cases, less than that, uh, much less than that, like, like a okay. fraction of a percent that's rolled into now 12 months old. Um, really? But that's we good. see, we see the small dealers have it the absolute worst. Um, and the smaller the inventory, I mean, we see micro dealers where they're like in the, uh, mid 80% of total inventory they shouldn't have. And, uh, and with the smaller, the worse. And I mean, we see it where, you know, um, like I'm talking about micro dealers at like 150, 125,000, 150 total inventory. They're in like the eighties. Yeah. Right. But really? as, as a, as a, as a, I'm talking about total inventory they shouldn't have, including obsolete, yeah. but not just yeah. obsolete. Right. But then when we look at, uh, Across the full range, it's 38.7%. Now that fluctuates from 36 to 38-ish percent, sure. but sure. It's, it's definitely like the higher of the mid thirties um, is, is where it's at, is where we see. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I've also, I've also noticed that if it's not an initiative with the company, you know, like you say micro dealer, um, some of these guys don't realize that they have a problem. No, you know, no. is, is, is what I found. And once you point it out and you say, Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, you know, your, your space costs money, your, your P you have overhead, you have more overhead than other people. You know, you, you, you have to utilize uh, these programs like the one that you've built here, because it's extremely important not to have uh, your, your valuable dollars tied up in stuff that just won't sell, you know? Exactly. Um, so, so this, yeah. I, so this is this is frozen capital that you're talking about. This is stuff that um, you know that the money that's invested in parts inventory needs to work. I mean that 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 money is made to is built to uh, make money, make money, make more money, um, where it's just profit producing profit, right? It's an ATM yeah. uh, effectively, but um, otherwise that profit is used for remodeling, paying paying your own staff, uh, paying reception, paying for accounting, paying for updates on the building, paying for mowing the grass and moving the snow. I mean, yeah, this yeah. goes on, uh, but stuck in parts. I mean, it's just lost, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's no use for it. Yeah. Okay. Well, awesome. Well, I guess we can go ahead and get into your, uh, your, your, your five points or your five tips for us. Um, what would be tip number one from you? Tip number one is, is uh, you kind of hit the nail on the head earlier is in, in the absolute must uh, is prepaying special order parts. If you don't have that, that in itself is an easy way to curb the problem. Um, yeah. Because when someone pays for something, they're coming back to get it uh, for sure. They're, they're now, uh, you know, financially hooked to that part. And what it does is it de-risks uh, the, the probabilities that the dealer is going to be stuck with it. You know, yeah. the, the, some would argue this, but the day that a, a 
part, a special order part becomes a problem for the dealer. People mm-hmm. would say day one that I learned that I now own it. So whether the customer said I don't need it, returned it, misdiagnosed it. I would say that uh, the the day you order it without it being prepaid is 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 day one when you create. That's your indicator. That's your, that's your <laughs> indicator. You got to prepay parts. I mean, so the reason guys don't prepay parts is they're is they're first off scared. What do I say to a customer if he pushes back? Yeah. Secondly, yeah. my parts guys are going to push back, and I would say that the biggest. And then how do I deal with accounting? It's going to be a huge nightmare. My system, my DMS doesn't handle it well. Those are always, that's always a concern. I will tell you, because I've implemented this many times over um, in different buildings uh, that I've managed, um, is it's it's not actually that hard. So the customer doesn't say, I mean, you just tell the customer, it's special or part, you just pay for it. They say, okay. I mean, if they're not really interested or they're shopping, I mean, they would have said order it and then they're shopping or doing whatever else they were going to do anyway. Um, So so prepay uh, and, and your DMS, you call your DMS uh, support. They'll tell you how to work with it. You talk to your controller, yeah. say, we're going to do a mock one. I now know how to do it. We'll do a mock uh, prepaid special invoice. Let's look at what it does tomorrow. Let's look what happens when it comes in terms of uh, relieving inventory when we receive it. Yep. And then I give it to the customer. And, and you know, it, the fears that they have on why it won't work are not real. It's all in their head. Yeah, it's totally, it's totally, you, you have anxiety about what might happen, you yeah. know, or what the customer might say. And I, you know, one of the things that I found is making sure that my team understands um, what happens with obsolescence in the worst case scenario. Like mm-hmm. my team gets paid off of gross profit. Well, if I'm scrapping obsolescence, that gross profit gets cut bad. Mm-hmm. You know, we take it right out of there. You know, so um, in, a, in, in reality, if you are ordering a part, not prepaying it and not calling your customer <laughs> to, to get the part picked up, you are just reducing your paycheck, period. You know, and <laughs> it's out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, 12 from now it's going to become a problem and whatever. Right. But, um, you know, the fact is that every month you're suffering for what you did 12 months ago. You know, you know that so. is a key point for dealers who, who uh, are process driven. Uh, like like you and the dealers that I've worked uh, with, um, certainly inventory um, and and being charged for your inventory as a holding cost. You had your guys do did seven, mine did ten. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah. I didn't begrudge it. Uh, I mean, whatever. Uh, I mean, what happened is it held me accountable, right, uh, for yeah, my own inventory. Definitely. But there are a lot of uh, this is certainly the majority um, are not there. The parts manager is paid off of the performance, like bottom line um, and inventory is not part of that calculation. So they're paid off of uh, gross profit, less uh, controllable expenses. So people policy promo um, Mm -hmm. and, and, and equals uh, at least pre uh, pre uh, uh, fixed expense. So before fixed expense gets there, that's where they're a percentage of that. Nowhere is there generally speaking, unless they're charging, um, putting some parts to policy like you were referring to or charging interest on the, on those parts. The majority yep. of guys are not actually paid on inventory. So inventory yeah. is something that, that they want to control, but, but they're not really held to it, to, to it, right. to make it happen. Provided they're right. even trained. I, I, yeah. I'll try not to go down this rabbit hole, but the majority <laughs> of problems that, that actually happen or that, that you see in a parts farm, especially a dealer that's rolling over parts manager after parts manager after new guy yes. after new guy, the, the problem starts at the very top and you got to start by training the guy and, 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 and more in particular training yourself. 
like yeah. as a DP or a GM, just on just You're enough. Absolutely right. So that I know how a parts department needs to work, so that mm-hmm. I can hold my parts manager uh, and, and train him then to a standard, so that he can, uh, you know, make it a make it a viable business. Yeah, absolutely. This is why I'm an advocate for if you're part of a company that that owns more than, you know, let's say six dealerships even, uh, or maybe even less, just a couple. I'm an advocate for having a parts director who knows what a solid inventory is, who knows what these these KPIs should actually be, because otherwise, you know, and it's it's not necessarily, well, you could go both ways on this. Um I would say in, in one respect, it's not necessarily a GM's fault for, for just not knowing. They'd never done it, but mm-hmm. in another way, it is their fault for not knowing. <laughs> you know? yeah. And uh, you know, One good way to alleviate that and to set up pay plans correctly, especially if you're, you're focused on inventory health, is to have someone uh, uh, responsible for that category of the business who knows it. You know, so right. A guy like exactly. yourself who can, who can say, look, this is how it should be done. Because right. otherwise- you just don't know, you know, you, you just right. don't know. Well, here, here's an interesting point. As a parts guy, if I moved into a uh, fixed operations manager and I'm taking over service, I absolutely have to in a hurry, figure out service. Uh, if I'm yes. not already pre-trained or training on it before I, that even happens. Right. Um, but what, but, the, but often what you see happen is a service guy will move service manager will move into fixed operations manager um, and not have any parts training. And that's kind right. of just where it settles because yeah. service is busy and it's huge, right? In, in comparison, um, even though the, the numbers are uh, basically guide is a, a dollar for dollar. So every dollar you yeah. earn in service, you earn in parts, right? That guy does right. move around depending on, but uh, I won't go down that path. But nonetheless, it's dollar for dollar is, is what it should be. So it's equally yeah. as important. But um, it would never be the case that I could be a parts manager, move into service and know nothing about service and let that be just the way it's going to be. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that could right? not happen. No, that could would not never happen. happen. And if it did happen, it wouldn't be for long. No, it wouldn't be for long at all. That's for right. sure. Right. Training. Okay. Awesome. That, that's a it, training's huge. That's, that's a fantastic tip. Okay. What is uh, tip number two? Uh, it's, it's certainly, um, for the majority of dealerships, service is their biggest customer. And, and I know some guys have a problem with saying service is my biggest customer, but we'll leave it at that. <laughs> they, they, you got to pre-book in service the customer before you let him leave. So way to think about it is, first off, if they're prepaid, and even if they're internal, uh, uh, prepay internal, likewise, uh, mm. internal is retail is where I come from. Um, right. and, and, uh, if they sell the car, they're still on the hook for the part. Why shouldn't they be right? Um, but nonetheless, um, we pre-book a customer before we order it in service department. We, we, before the customer leaves, because not only is he prepaying it, but even if it's warranty, we're getting the customer, uh, to book a, an appointment because then the customer is, is fitting you in their calendar versus, yep. uh, you know, a week later, a couple days later, we're calling the customer, they won't answer the phone. Everybody's at work. It goes to voicemail, yeah. goes to another voicemail, goes to another voicemail. Yeah, they're out of town. They moved away. They're out of town. Now you're trying to fit in their schedule rather than them fitting you in their schedule. So, so what happens is it's, 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 um, they're working. If you pre-book them on the spot before you order it for them, and that's part of the policy and service. And even in parts, I don't order a part unless you have it pre-booked. Um, yeah. You know, you're forcing, it, it makes the customer, 
fit you in to their calendar yes. or you're fitting into their calendar. So it meshes well and we're not scrambling versus, you know, when I'm trying to get a hold of them, everyone's at work. They always give you a home number. No one wants to talk to anyone. I won't answer a cell at work. That's how people work. Yeah. And yeah. so you're just chasing your tail, right? And guess what happens? You're stuck with a part. Yep. You're stuck with it. And, and they may or may not come back. And, you know, that, that happens all the time. And so it, that's a good point because um, that takes some training on the service side too. It takes the service manager and the parts manager coming together and saying, hey, this is the new process. Number one, it's going to get people in uh, more consistently, right? Because mm-hmm. we're, we're making them prepay for, for something. They're financially tied to it, like you said before. Yeah. And uh, number two, we're going to reduce the the – the chance or the risk of that becoming an obsolete part. So I think that's exactly critical. Absolutely exactly. Critical. I, I, I'll tell you, I've left the fifth point, the most controversial uh, point of them all. when you can't get a fixed ops guy or a service manager on board with uh, yeah. special order parts, uh, I got something special. <laughs> number five. Perfect. Stay tuned. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Let's move on to number three then. Uh, what is tip number three? So tip number three is, is first off, you have a special order bin where you keep all these parts um, that are prepaid, right? Uh, or warranty yes. uh, waiting to go on because effectively you're going to get money for those. Um, yep. But uh, nothing over 30 days old. Nothing over 30 days old. And some guys will kind of let them ride. There's no riding. It's like at th- yeah. we know, um, we tell that with customers. Um, you know, we tell that to service department. They know day 30, um, that part's no longer for you. That thing is for sale or return yeah. it if you, if you, if provided you can. I mean, there's different right. scenarios where you can't because uh, you don't have a return allowance or the program to do that uh, with the manufacturer. Um, so, of course, now you're just returning the oldest stuff and that's yeah. new. Yeah. But nonetheless, um, 30 days, that's all you get. There's no 60, yeah. there's no 90, it's no, the guy's on holidays, come back in three months, six months or when he gets paid. Right. It's like 30 days, That's that's the number. No, that's it. And, and in a case where, um, like you just said, guys on holidays coming back 90 days, whatever, what we've decided to do when, when they won't prepay for the part is set it up on the salesperson's calendar for 90 days and put the, 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 the name of the customer, the phone number, the part they were wanting, the, all the info that you can think of. And when that pops up that day, 90 days from now, give them a call and see if they're ready for that and see if they're ready to prepay for it and, and start that process again. But the wrong thing to do is to order it preemptively and, mm. and to not have it prepaid and to let it just sit there to let the customer forget about it. Um, you know, I, I think that's, that's critical. So yeah, 30 days, that's a big deal. Yeah, exactly. And I come from uh, Ford land where we, we, 30 days is like, all right, it's going back. <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's going back. <laughs> Some manufacturers don't have that luxury guys who work with other yeah. manufacturers, but nonetheless, yeah, you, yeah. That, that thing is, you get it out of there as fast as you can. Yeah. And you know, you know, the, the, the thing about having to return those things that weren't prepaid for is I get charged for by Ford, you know, I'm, I'm hit for 15% of the cost of that part. So effectively I'm still paying something in obsolescence mm. um, for having a bad process. Right. So you yeah. know, um, it's better than letting it just sit there forever, but, but not ideal. Mm. Um, so exactly. what is tip number four? So tip number four, let me give a little bit of context here. We want to 
think about where do special order parts originate. And we, and we talk about, um, you know, first off, they are the special order parts, but um, for the majority of dealers, service is their biggest customer. But service department, if you look at, so let's say you get 2% or 3%, 5% return allowance from, from your manufacturer. What you'll find, generally speaking, is service is your largest customer. They return the highest dollar value of parts each month of unreturned uh, and unsold special order parts for various reasons. We, we could list a billion of them. But, sure. um, but what happens, so they have the highest dollar value, but generally speaking, um, the service department is not exceeding the amount of uh, versus purchases. They're not exceeding the amount that you would have earned in return allowance from the manufacturer. Yeah. You're generally uh, as well is um, your retail counter is small and returns more parts than you get from uh, the, in return allowance from the manufacturer, but it's, it's incredibly small. So yeah. where is the, where is it where you're upside down, where you're, you're returning more parts than you're getting uh, for return allowance from the manufacturer. And that's from wholesale. Now, yeah. I would say generally the, the, the body shops are nice when, when things line up and they take it and they take every part and they put every part on and right. things work out well. But um, there are some bad apples in the body shop. And I say, I say body shop in particular because that is the easiest one to get in trouble the fastest because the orders are so big. Um, you got to cut them. I remember years ago, uh, it was a big thing. We're talking about increasing wholesale and uh, years and years ago at this point. And, um, and it was about, you know, just getting the number up and uh, your growth suffers because now you're, you're competing, but then you're getting some of these yeah. guys that are just trashing your inventory. Right. But that's yeah. not seen because financial statement, we're looking at gross, we're looking at, well, we're right. looking at sales and then gross and that's gross is dropping sales are going up, hiring more people, more drivers on the road and your inventory yeah. is now just cut. Like, so do the study. This is, this is my key point. Do the study on your wholesale customers who are returning the most. If it's at 10%, we'll call that acceptable, right? Body shops, maybe you might want to keep an eye on that only because most of those parts you don't stock unless mm -hmm. you have lots of body shops. At 15% returns, uh, total returns, um, that's definitely a warning sign. At 20, like it's a huge problem. And it for is. me, I'm big on cutting guys who we can't get in shape. Look, I mean, I'm I, you don't go at them just say, Hey, look, we're, we're not we're doing business anymore. Time to go. This is over. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, th there does come a point where wholesale business is uh, doing any business is a two way street. You have to yeah. win and the other customer has to win when it That's becomes right. lopsided and one person's winning at the full expense uh, of, of the other. In this case, wholesale dictates the price. They dictate the delivery times. They dictate, you know, um, what you're that you're taking everything back that they say yep. you're not winning man that's that's not a two-way street that's a one-way street and that guy's toxic for business um, yeah and it's a partnership is what you, you know that's what it is it's it's a mm -hmm. total partnership you can't it's not okay just the body shop gets to win like yes. no that, that's not how business works you both need to have the opportunity to win um, and when you're getting trashed, like you're saying, you, your inventory's bloated because you've got all of these freaking hoods that never got put on because they found it from a uh, from a junkyard mm -hmm. <laughs> instead, yeah. or whatever the case is. You know, right, it's yeah. like yeah. no, it's not. It's not how it works. Right. Exactly. So they they the wholesale guys. Um, there's some consideration because some of this and a lot of this stuff you'll feel from 
uh, inventory. Um, and depending on your, your body shop business and the models that you're servicing, even that will come from inventory. So you got to give them a bit of lead way. Guys that are big into diesel trucks, engines, uh, uh, transmissions, they have core returns coming back, which, which looks bad because it shows as a credit uh, in most DMSs that I'm aware of. Right. Um, and it looks bad, but in fact, it's just large cores, right? Like injectors yep. are $125, $250 a pop. Um, yep. You know, those cores add up and they're showing as a return, even though it's a core. So, so yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I would say that um, uh, that is a, a, an incredibly important metric to be looking at uh, on a monthly basis. And I actually use a tool. A lot of us here are on CDK. Um, and it's probably, I don't know, I, I would think it's the most popular one, at least here in the U.S. It is, um, yeah. Yeah, so um, I use a tool from Summit Consulting called Part Sales Accelerator, and that, if you look into that, that will actually give you all of those metrics that we're talking about here, and it'll just spit you out a return percentage, you know, right there next to the customer's name, and it'll tell you um, those, those customers that you're really at risk with uh, and, and maybe need to have a conversation with, you know, and, you know, it's important to have that conversation because you need to figure out what the, the problem actually is. You know, is it a training issue on the parts side? Are we selling you the wrong parts? Let's get that mm -hmm. taken care of. Generally, that's not uh, the full extent of the case, but, you know, get their side of it. Make sure that, that you treat them as a partner and make sure they treat you as a partner. It's a great tip. Love right. It. Exactly. You know, when you know, you, you will know when you have a problematic parts guy, because your guys in the shop are more than happy to tell you. So you already know that's a problem. <laughs> so generally yeah, they, when you have, they have no problem coming up and telling you about it, that's zero. for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So to your uh, controversial tip. Yes. Number five. Number five. You know, I love it because I know there's a lot of uh, service managers or fixed ops managers that are not on board with trying to get parts, special order, uh, in line. So basically uh, you have a parts manager trying to fend for himself and he can't get it done. Now um, what I had implemented uh, many years back was um, if, if, if we follow all the, and we have all these processes implemented and uh, even as far as you could even take it a step further and have your service manager initial or sign off on special order parts before you order them all, Sure. that they have dates that they're prepaid and your advisors are, you know, on the up and up, then we're right. good. Um, if, if I have anything roll over to date uh, 31, it's going to your policy. You own it. Now <laughs> we don't actually give the part to the service manager. Cause he's like, the hell with you. If I bought the part through my policy, I want the part. It don't work that right. way. It's still the dealer's right. money. In fact, all that is is shuffling from the dealer's left hand pocket to his right hand pocket. Yep. It's an internal shuffle going from internal policy to internal policy and you still have the part. But I'll tell you, especially, I'll tell you what it does, is, especially if you're part of a 20 group or part of a, a dealer group who's, uh, you know, paying attention to the financials and every month the parts manager or service manager is responsible for, you know, talking about their financial statement and specifically mm -hmm. tell me what's going on with your policy. Like, I yeah. want to know what's in there. When you start putting those parts to service policy, um, it gets his attention and they get revved up about it. But that, if that's the last straw to get him to pay attention, that will get his attention. Now, if you, and now if, yeah. if a service manager, fixed ops manager is not on board um, and 
he doesn't review the statement or his DP or the GM doesn't review the statement or hold them accountable to it. They don't show it to him. That, that does happen still, uh, surprisingly enough. I mean, it yeah. means nothing. He don't care. Put it wherever you want. What do I care? I got, I got better things to do as according yeah. to him. But yeah. uh, if you're part of a 20 group or advanced dealership, um, certainly he's more than aware of his service policy and that's how you get attention. You will piss a lot yeah. of people off, uh, service guys off. But when you have no choice, you got to get, you know, there's got to be a wake up call at some point. Look, I got to do something. Um, yeah. And this is what we're doing. And, and here we go. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that even bringing that up is probably a, a good way to kind of light a fire, you know, and be like, well, look, this is, this is how it's just going to have to be. You know, if we keep running into this problem, what's well, going to go from my asset account into your policy account. You know, because otherwise it's just going to go to my policy account anyway. And I didn't order the thing, you know? Right. So um, when you present it in that way, I, I think uh, it would definitely light a fire. It probably caused some tension, but you know what? You can't be afraid to, to, uh, to confront people about this stuff. You know, you are ultimately responsible for the health of your inventory, for the health of your sales, all of that, you know? So if you know service is causing most of your issue, it's your responsibility to correct that issue. That's why you were hired. Your people, your team is counting on you to do that. You know, right, so exactly. I think that's a great tip. I think it's exactly. great. So we're not making any money off of in the parts department trying to, you know, do a shuffle from one pocket to the next. Right. Um, just, just like adding interest, uh, holding costs to the parts inventory. I mean, it's a shuffle from one account to another effectively. Mm -hmm. um, but, but what it is, is, is we've got to get people on board. And if, if, if we're not able to do it because we can't have people above us do it uh, above us to implement it or, or at least monitor it. Um, I'm certainly going to do it for you. Uh, yeah. is, like you say, it's my job, right? Cause if I yeah. don't get a handle on it, guess who they're coming to see and they're not That's interested right. in excuses. Exactly. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Catch that problem up front, confront people about it, make a plan. Uh, all of these tips have been absolutely fantastic. You know, thank you so much for, for coming up with those, for sharing that. I know we could probably, we could probably do, uh, let's go over 45 tips for obsolescence, but you know, <laughs> yes. we'll keep it to five. Right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Hopefully we can, we, hopefully we can come together and do this again. Cause, yes. um, I think there's a lot more to talk about, but yeah, thank you so much for, for doing this. I really appreciate it. Me. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, like I said, well, We'll be talking again soon. We'll catch up again. All right. Thanks, Sean. Take care.